Good morning. Hi. <laughs> it's good to see you. Welcome to Faith Community Church, everybody. No, 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 no. Okay. okay, have a seat, have a seat, have a seat, have a seat. The video was good, it wasn't that good. Uh, good morning, uh, welcome. Um, if this is your very first time at Faith Community Church and you're wondering what is going on, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at FCC. I'm the other uh, pastor, Tim. Even if you've only been around, you know, this summer, I know a lot of people move to the area during the summer. A special welcome to you. And uh, what's going on is uh, in July, uh, while we were on vacation, a, a, a hotel collapsed on our middle son, Benjamin, and uh, killed him. And the leaders of the church, we call them elders here at Faith Community Church, the elders of Faith Community Church, immediately put me on a, um, a sabbatical, and uh, I returned to work this week, and this is my first time uh, back with you. Uh, and a lot of you are wondering how we're doing. I liked uh, Porter's summary last week. It, it's really complicated. It's really complicated. There are still tears every day. There were tears this morning, and a lot of grace every day. And we're okay. Uh, we're doing okay. There are, I have two uh, major concerns coming into this morning. One is, can Tim Prince get through a whole sermon? That's a real concern. I told Porter there's like a 15% chance that I'm just going to say, you know, it's not working, bud. And I'll go sit down, and then you're, you're stuck. So uh, <laughs> thanks to Tim. The other is, you know, um, what's happened to Ben, we think about all the time. And... Um, it, it's, it's impossible to talk about the Lord or um, think about speaking about the Lord without thinking about Ben. And so I'm going to endeavor in the months ahead not to make every sermon about Ben, okay? We're not going to succeed today, all right? Um, also, you know, Darcy and I have known today was coming for a long time and been thinking about what we want to say to you. And we just want to say that we love you. We love you. And there just isn't time. There is not enough time to tell you what you've meant to us these last 10 weeks. We started making a list, you know, of all the things you've done and the ways you've served us. And it was just getting way too long. And uh, so... We've kept a list of things you've done that we know about. The list is over 700 long now. So you're not going to get a thank you note. I just... <laughs> but you, you, have, you have written cards. You've, sent, you've texted me this morning. You've been praying for us. You've, there's just no way. And so, you know, we... Our, we've had friends and family talk to us about you. I wish you knew that. Friends and family that have talked about what you've been like. And a young man in this congregation considering ministry who's seen what you've done and said, I love the local church. 
And uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what else to say about that. I guess I'll spend a long time trying to figure out how to say thank you to you. Uh, but what we're going to do today, if Prince can hold it together, we're just going to take the next step in our series on Joseph. Why are we doing that? Because that's what we're going to do. That's why. I didn't want to think about what am I going to preach today. I just Let's just take the next step together. And then if things are going okay, you know, I have had two months to think about Ben and process what's happening. And you have never been far from my mind. And if things are going okay, I have some things, uh, reflections from the scripture we're reading today to share with you. Uh, we'll see if that happens. Okay? Everybody got it? I'm going to sniff one more time. <laughs> Our scripture reading this morning is Genesis chapter 39. That's page 33. If you want to grab a Bible from under the chairs in front of you, Genesis chapter 39. We actually have two scripture readings this morning. Why is that Faith Community Church? Because we are overachievers. That's right. You are still overachievers. We're going to read a little from... Uh, Genesis chapter 39, and then I actually have a, a short reading from Romans chapter 8 I want to share with you this morning as well. Everything will be on the screen if you're new to the scriptures I don't, and you don't want to be flipping all over the place. But here's Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him an overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him an overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house. For Joseph's sake, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. This is from Romans chapter 8, starting verse 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks be to God. I should have brought a Kleenex with me here. If you've been around Faith Community Church for a while, you've probably heard me say that Romans chapter 8 is my favorite chapter in the Bible. That is more true today than it has ever been in my life. And in verse 28, which we just, I knew you would. Thank you. We're going to make it today. In verse 10 28, which we just read, there, you're going to find probably the most succinct formulation of what is called sometimes the providence of God. That God works all things together 
for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's sometimes called the doctrine of the providence of God. Now, if you're dozing off right now, just a heads up, okay? Uh, back in July, there was a group of 7th and 8th grade kids who were getting together during the summer to uh, talk theology, eat s'mores, and learn the basics of, of Bible study. And their first week, I wasn't there, but their first week I got a text saying that, that their questions were, you know, in the range of, if God created everything, did he create evil? If he didn't create evil, then where did it come from? You know, some simple things like that. And if, if God uh, is in control of all things, then why do evil things or why do bad things happen? And so, uh, if you're thinking, uh, who really has time for the doctrine of the providence of God? You're wrong, okay? Seventh and eighth graders are wondering about this kind of thing. And today, the, the, the doctrine of the providence of God is just the beginning, everybody got it? The beginning of the answer to that question. And here, here's the, the doctrine of divine providence, and, it, and it's, this is as simple as I could make it. There's a mountain of scripture to go with this. I'd be happy to send it to you, but, but here it is. Divine providence teaches that God who created all things orders and governs all things according to his own infallible purpose. God who created all things orders and governs all things according to his own infallible purpose. And he does that in such a way that all things, and when, when we say all things, this is what the scriptures teach. And I could, I could send you chapter and verse on each one of these things, okay? All things includes the forces of nature, man-made devices, seemingly random events, nations and rulers, national disasters, Satan and demons, illness, mental and spiritual suffering, human thoughts, human intentions, human decisions, and the will of good and evil. That's what it means. All things ultimately serve God's own perfect end. And it does so, and they do so in such a way that he himself is not the author or approver of sin and evil. Now, if you're here today, and you're not a Christian, but you've always had this sense in your heart that things happen for a reason. First of all, really good news, you're right. You're right, that sense in your heart that the universe is not unfolding haphazardly, that things do not hand them by rap, uh, random circumstance, that, that sense that someone is directing all things is true. And God has done this in such a way that you would seek him. This is Acts chapter 17, verse 27. God has arranged everything in the universe, including horrific works of evil, so that you would seek him and find him when you seek him. Second, I would want you to know that the Bible is aware of the tension that this creates between you know, the sovereignty of God on the one hand and the will of free creatures on the other hand. The Bible clearly teaches both things. It is aware of the tension. From time to time, it explores that tension. But as far as I know, there's no place where it really just resolves the whole thing. So a couple things, especially if you're a seventh or an eighth grader, okay? 
or if you're just new to the scriptures, here's a good word of advice. Where the Bible chooses not to resolve something or make it entirely clear, sometimes we just need to be content knowing that right now, you and I know this much of God. We know what we need to know, but God is infinite. And that means that in a million billion years, we will still be learning more about the awesome purposes of God. And third, I just need to say this, that this is not a minor doctrine in the Bible. This is not a minor doctrine. Sometimes people act like Romans chapter 8, you know, is the only verse that talks about this. There are like three dozen places where this is clearly spelled out and it is assumed or described on almost every page of the Bible. And this matters for a couple of reasons. Because divine providence is repugnant to the human heart. We hate, we hate, we hate that we might not be ultimately in control of our lives. And we hate, hate, hate the authority of God. And sometimes, well-meaning Christians try to paper over this or make it go away because this has to be in the top five reasons people don't want to be Christians. And I would just say to you, let's not do that together. Because the other thing is that this doctrine is an anchor for your soul. This truth is an anchor for the soul that nothing comes to me. Nothing happens to me and nothing comes to me except through the hand of my Father who loves me. Nothing comes to me that he does not give me grace to handle. Nothing comes to me that does not come with the promise of his own presence. All things work together for the good of those who love him and I'll call according to his purpose. And the two places where this is most clearly described, I think, are the crucifixion of Jesus and the story of Joseph. Joseph's conclusion at the end of this whole story, okay, so here's a spoiler alert. Joseph's conclusion at the end of this whole story is that God, what, what his brothers intended for evil, God intended for good. God intended it. That means God did not simply allow this to happen to Joseph. God is not like a great chess player who is parrying and blocking the moves of his enemy and always responding to us. History is the working out of God's plan and that plan is for his glory and the maximum, maximum, maximum joy of his people. And as awful as what happened to Joseph is, we're gonna see this in a second, as awful as this is, the promise of scripture is that none of this happened apart from the will of God. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. Let's just look at the story really quickly. Verse 1. If you're reading too fast, it just sort of slides by, but there's a world of heartache and pain in this simple phrase. Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, had bought him. You remember Joseph's story, if you were here a few weeks ago, Joseph's story begins with a dream where the universe is bowing down to him. Sun, moon, and stars are bowing down to him, then he's thrown into a pit, and now he goes down, down, down to Egypt. Joseph has gone from the favored son of a wealthy chieftain, tribal chieftain, to, be, to a slave market in the land of Egypt, and there's nothing romantic or hopeful 
in the background of that story. We know enough about slave markets from our own terrible history to know what this looks like. Joseph has been trafficked. This is a story about human trafficking. He was kidnapped by his own family, sold to traitors, has been literally stripped of everything, poked and prodded in a slave market to see that people are getting the best deal that they can. He has no identity, no name, no money, nothing to protect himself, and in all likelihood, he can't even understand what's going on around him. He is completely exposed and completely at the mercy of the people around him. And it says that he's purchased by Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of, the, of Pharaoh's guard. That means he's the head of Pharaoh's security service. Uh, so that's good news for Joseph on one hand. So he's not been purchased to be worked to death in the mines or pull boats along the river. But he lives now in the home of a man whose job is to put down insurrections and kill political prisoners. So escape's not like a thing on the agenda. That's not an option for Joseph. And you can imagine that he's confused and in shock and afraid. And all this happens in the space of about a week, by the way. I don't know if you've ever faced sudden and unexpected tragedy, but you have to imagine that Joseph is saying, is this my life now? I don't know how many times Darcy and I have said that in the last two months. Is this our life now? And that's what's happening to Joseph. And he must have had within him all kinds of desires to run, to give up, to lose himself in resentment and fear and anger, to take his own life. But verse 2 says, look at it, best verse in the whole story, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. This is the first time God is mentioned in Joseph's story. And the point is that awful things don't happen because God is gone. He's there and God isn't done. Now, if you're hurting this morning, hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 27, cast me not away, Forsake me not, O God of my salvation, for my father, my mother, my brothers have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Psalm 9.9, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed and a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you will not forsake those who seek you. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Psalm 23.4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For why? You are with me. This is one of my favorites. Psalm 138. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. So first thing we see is that God is uniquely drawn to the brokenhearted. We have to add, however, that it may be that God puts you there for that very reason, so that you would finally seek him. 
God orders and governs all things according to his own infallible purpose. But I would not want you to make the mistake of thinking that God is therefore indifferent to his people. You are not a pawn in some kind of ongoing game of chess that God is having with the universe. We are not just means to some end. God was with Joseph because Joseph is precious to it. God had made certain promises to Joseph's family. There's, the story of Genesis begins with a promise that God is going to send a son to crush the head of the serpent. And the whole story is waiting. When is the son going to come? And here we have another son who's shown up in the story and now he's cast into exile. But the Lord was with Joseph. Now, uh, quick quiz. This is audience participation time. Okay, and there's a 50-50 chance of getting this right. So it's a good day. Do we know in the second millennium of the Christian world, do we know more or less about the purposes of God than Joseph did? Do we know more or less about the presence of God than Joseph did? And you may respond. Thank you. We know so much more than Joseph did. We know now the name of the son who's coming. And we know that we have the promise, not just that God is near to the brokenhearted, but that by the Spirit of God, he is present all the time with every one of his people. All the time. I had the conversation this week on Tuesday, sitting down with a friend who's reading the Bible for the very first time in his life. He didn't know where Genesis was. He didn't know the big numbers of the chapters and the little numbers are the verses. Okay, so we're brand new. And he's reading the Gospel of John. He read the first three chapters this week. And we're talking about the Spirit of God. What is everlasting life? What does it mean to be born again by the Spirit? I said, everlasting life is the promise that, that the Spirit of God himself is God and that he is with his people, that he himself is the life of God at work in every single one of his people. It is almost too good to be true, but that is what it teaches, that for the Christian, heaven has in some sense already come. C.S. Lewis says that the, the Christian will discover when all is said and done, that earth was really just a part of heaven because God was, was with him all the time. And, and for the one who doesn't know the Lord, earth will turn out to have always been a part of hell because he wasn't with them. The promise of the Spirit is that, in, that no Christian ever gets to say, God has abandoned me, even when you're in the pit, in slavery, in wherever. The Christian gets to say confidently, the eye of my father is never far from me. He never takes his eye off me. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. God, not, God only does what is good to his people. And in the providence of God, he understood that this needed to happen to make Joseph fit for the dreams that God himself gave to Joseph. The fact is that God just knows more than we do. He sees more than we do. We get to see this much. And our timetable is 10 years or 20 years, or if you're really wise, 50 years. God's timetable is 10 billion years. 
And he is, he is maximizing the joy and the satisfaction of his people in everything. If you're here and you're asking yourself, but can I trust a God like that? Can I trust a God like that? Yes. Remember when we talk about God, we're talking about the Lord Jesus this morning. We're not talking about the, you know, the giant chess master in the sky, but the God of the Bible who entered this story himself and endured the cross on our behalf. He was plunged into hell on your behalf so that your joy would never end. God was with Joseph, and he is with those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And the result of God's presence, if you look at this story, is that Joseph becomes a vehicle of God's blessing to everyone around him. Because the Lord was with Joseph, Joseph became a blessing to Potiphar's house. If there were ever a person in the history of the world who had an excuse to be consumed with self-pity or resentful or fearful or angry or bitter, Joseph surely had that excuse. The prophet Daniel, though, who went through almost exactly the same kind of circumstance, the prophet Daniel said, those who know their God will do exploits. In other words, those who know, one of the marks of knowing God and the presence of the Spirit in your life is a zeal for the glory of God and a desire to live for Him no matter what in every part of your life. And so there, there must have been a moment in Daniel's life where Joseph sat down and said to himself, whatever I've been up to this point in my life, Whatever my dreams were, this is reality now. At some point in the pit or on the camel or on the auction block or in Potiphar's house, Joseph must have had, you know, some kind of resolve to say, whatever my dreams have been, this is where I'm at, and I'm going to live for God here for as long as he gives me to do that. And when, when you do that, that is a day of tremendous liberation. When you, get, when you say to your heart, this is not what I wanted, this is not what I've prayed for, but this is what God has given to me, and this is where God has placed me, that is a day of tremendous liberation. And the time to do it, by the way, is now. Not when your life blows up. I can imagine, so I'm, now I'm really inserting my own thoughts into the text, okay, has everybody got that? But I can just imagine Joseph riding the camel to Egypt or whatever, saying, you know, I remember a story my dad told me about when he hit rock bottom and, he, and God showed up for him and he's going to show up for me. I remember a story about my great-grandpa and about how God asked him to give up the thing he loved most in all the world, and he did it, and God honored him and met him. So I'm going to take these dreams that I've had, and I'm just going to leave those with the Lord now. And whatever happens, happens. There's tremendous freedom in knowing your God. Joseph became, because the Lord was with him, became a vehicle of God's blessing to everyone around him. This is not a commentary, by the way, on the goodness or badness of slavery. For that, you need to take in the whole story of the Bible. But the fact is that the only opportunity Joseph had 
To give testimony and witness was to be the best slave in Potiphar's household. And so that's what he did. He just said, this is the thing that God has put in front of me. I'm going to do it for his glory. My dreams belong with the Lord now. And I'm just going to trust that he'll be with me in my nightmare. And Potiphar and everyone else took notice. The point is just that there, there is not a perfect time or place to begin loving and trusting God. It's interesting, we don't really know, the, the, the scripture doesn't really tell us anything about Joseph's relationship with God before this. We don't know where he was at with, with his relationship with God, but now he appears to have made up his mind. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I hope your life is awesome, by the way. But there is no perfect time or place for you to get to the point where you're ready to say, God is God, I'm not. And I'm going to live for his glory no matter what happens. God orders and governs all things according to his own infallible purpose. Without Joseph knowing it, God was using Potiphar's house, using this nightmare to transform Joseph into someone that he would use to rescue many nations. God was with Joseph because Joseph was precious to him. And he loved Joseph and went with him into his nightmare. All right, I've been hemming and hawing about whether to share this with you this morning, but we have time. I'm just going to do it. I've had two months to think about you and what happened with Ben. And I want to I just want to We're not going to do this every week, by the way, okay? Just this week. A couple of things. On the night that Ben died, after they retrieved his body, he died in a hotel. He died when a hotel collapsed on him. They evacuated us to a hotel. And my boys were with him in the room when he died. They could have died just as easily. Jordan's head was all banged up and Caleb was covered with scratches from debris and all kinds of things. And they had to just lay there in another hotel. Every sound, you, you don't know how noisy hotels are, but every sound caused them to ask, are we safe here? It was thundering and lightning outside. And they kept asking me, are we safe here? And I kept trying to say, yes, yes, of course, we're safe here. But they would ask me, how do you know? And I, you know, I used to answer that question so easily before. But the fact is, I didn't know. And you know, for two months now, every time there's a storm, every time they walk into a building like this, I can promise you my boys have looked at these beams this morning. They know what's hanging from the roof. It used to be so easy to just tell them, it's, it's okay. You're safe. The, f the fact is, they're not. Neither are you. The world is a dangerous place. So at 2 o'clock in the morning or 1.30 in the morning or something like that, I went over to their bed and I said, boys, what I want to do is I want to take you home and wrap you in bubble wrap and we are never leaving the house again. 
But I have made a decision that we serve a sovereign, wise, and good God. And we are not going to live our lives in fear. We're just not going to do that. Jordan went over to a friend's house last night. It was dark. They were running around, running in and out of the street. It's not a safe world. But I've made a decision that we will not live our lives in fear. And I've thought of you often in these two months. I am not a prophet, okay? So you can disregard everything I'm about to say, but I, I would, I'm assuming that the next 25 years are not going to be easier to follow Jesus. Does that make sense? And I'm not saying this about you, okay? I'm not saying this about you, but when I look at the church in the context that we live in, what I see is a lot of fear. Christians worried about everything about what is the world going to do to us and what if they vote in this person or that person or what if we lose this or that right or blah, 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 blah. The world has always been dangerous. If we become more aware of that in the next 25 years, so be it. I, would, I just would invite you to make a decision that we are not going to live in fear. We had 500 people in this building on Wednesday night for Awana and the Refuge. Just, just for right now, just we have a little window of opportunity. It just feels like we live in a time and a place where a church that would be willing to take risks for the kingdom of God would see fruit. Why would we not do that? Those who know their God will do exploits, Scripture says. And there just is not time to be afraid. This is our 78th day without our boy. And we go to bed at night, almost every night, and we look at each other and we say, can you do this for 30 more years? Could you do this for 40 more years with me? And the answer is yes, because Jesus has promised us everything that we'll need if that's what he asks from us. But I have never understood the phrase one day at a time until these last two months, and that is how we're taking it. There is just not time for Christians to be afraid. Jesus said, the fields are white for harvest. Look, he says, People out in the field are already reaping their wages. Last thing, I was talking with a friend who also lost a child, a friend from this congregation, and he said, you know, there's a lot about what happened that they don't understand, just like for us. And he had two boys uh, left as well. And he said he would sit them down and he would say, boys, there's a lot about this that we don't understand. But we have a decision to make. We're either going to hate God or we're going to love him. Those are, your, those are our options at this point. We're going to love God. And even as we do so, we do so with the understanding that we love God because he has called us and helps us to do so. 
I've made that decision too. We, I just invite you this morning, whoever you are, wherever you're at with things, you can trust the Lord. Whatever he asks you to do, whatever he puts in front of you to do, you can trust him. You can love him. And whenever you find yourself wondering, how can I know this? Look at the cross of Jesus. Did he who would not spare his own son, but graciously gave him for us all, will he not also along with him give us everything? He will. Let me pray. Father, whatever is helpful in what was shared today, I ask that you would be the one doing the ministry and applying it to people's hearts. Thank you for this church. And I ask that you would bless faith community in every way that really matters. Father, we pray, especially as we prepare to launch ministry for kids in the fall, that you would call our kids to know and trust you. We ask that you would fill us with your own energy, your own power and strength to do what you've put in front of us to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just one more thing before we go to communion this morning. For those of you who are parents, I know many of you have wondered or have thought over the last two months, you know, well, if this can happen to Tim and Darcy, he's like a holy man, you know. (laughs) Why are we we laughing? You don't need to laugh. This can happen to anyone. I, I pray that that would never be the case, but listen, there were so many things we worried about with Ben that I know you worry about. And in the end, none of them mattered. But we taught him, and he was a big sinner, guys, a big sinner. We taught him to trust Jesus and to know God. And in 10 million years now, it is all that will matter. Next week, we get to fill this place with kids. God, I hope, I hope that this will be a place where just thousands and hundreds of kids are taught you can trust the living God because it will be all that matters. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the scriptures say that he took bread and he gave thanks for it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. In the same way you took the cup, he said, this cup is the blood of a new, this is the blood of a new covenant. As often as you drink it, remember me.